You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Easter Sunday, we asked the question, do you believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection And eternal life can only be found through faith in Him. Do you believe that this morning? It's a truth that we ought to be preaching. Much like Edith Burns. You remember the story. Do you believe in Easter? Last week we looked at Habakkuk, the close of the chapter, and saw that we must sometimes wait on the Lord. But revival is coming, and so we wait Quietly, that doesn't mean that we wait inactively. We are actively waiting on the Lord every week, like every week is Easter, waiting on God, but that waiting on God calls us to mission. We can't simply just sit on our laurels and expect that God's going to bless that. We don't just simply wait on heaven to get here. We act now as if heaven has already come. We preach the gospel of the kingdom. So what do we do in a world when we're waiting on Jesus' return? We preach the Gospel. We could get impatient, but we should be obedient. We could become bitter at our culture, or we could become broken for our culture. We love the promise of Romans 10.13, right? That says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I think sometimes we forget that the very next verse says, how will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's the call of the church to proclaim this Gospel. The responsibility not just of preachers or pastors or missionaries or evangelists. It's the call of every Christian, every believer to make the Gospel known both where we live and abroad to the ends of the earth. And the Gospel of John was written that truth that people might believe this truth about Jesus. John 20 and verse 31 stands as the purpose statement for the entire book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. You should write that in your Bible, the very first part of the Gospel of John, or somewhere in the cover where you will remember it, because this entire Gospel is written for that purpose. Every single text that we're going to come to is given that we together might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in His name. And not just us, but all who might read it for 2,000 years and the years to come as Jesus tarries. So over the coming months as we walk through this Gospel, it is a threefold purpose that is on my heart. 
One is that you would have what you need every week to invite someone to church. And that when you invite them to church, you can be certain that they will in fact hear the gospel and be called to believe it every single week consistently. So if you say, I I don't know how to share my faith with someone, invite them to church, they will hear it. And in some sense, in some sense, that is obedience. At the same time, it is the second goal that you would hear and be renewed in the gospel. And there may, in fact, be some of you here this morning who may have heard the gospel a lot, but you've never believed it personally. And my goal in walking through this is that we as a church family would be renewed in what it means to believe. And some of you, some of you might even be saved. The Lord wills. And then the third goal that I would have is that you would receive instruction every week. As you are hearing the gospel presented from the Bible, not from some plan, not from some acronym or some tract. But as you're hearing the gospel proclaimed from the Bible, that you would be equipped and encouraged to, to then take that, having it modeled for you, and go out into the world on Monday and share your faith all week long. And not only share your faith, but you personally, not just inviting people to church, but you personally calling them to believe upon Christ. This would be the goal as we walk through this passage along with that. As we work through this book, we're going to do a program, an initiative, I like to call it, called Who's Your One? We've not launched this yet. You'll hear more about this in the days to come. But it's an, it's an initiative to call you to share your faith with one particular person intentionally with the hope that that would not only happen with one but more. But it's an intentional goal. We'll also be sharing with you some practical tools, one in particular, to help you in your journey of following Jesus in evangelism and sharing your faith. And then we're going to continue to emphasize what it means to be a part of a connect group. Because as people come to faith in Jesus Christ, they need to be around other believers who can help them as they grow in their faith. All of this because the Bible calls us to proclaim the Gospel. And all of this that those who hear the Gospel might be saved. So, let's begin together. John chapter 1. If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. So much here in these first 18 verses. So let's just begin with the first five and do our best to unpack all all that is here this morning. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, we pray this morning as we open this incredible book that You would teach us what it means to believe the Gospel. That You would remind us of who we are by nature. Sinners separated from a holy God in need of salvation. And that You would show us Your plan and how You have designed and prepared and ordained to to save those who believe. 
I pray this morning that if there is someone here among us who has never believed the Gospel, that by Your Spirit You would draw them to salvation today. And that the truth of Your Word would convict their hearts. And that they would be born again. We pray for us as the church, God, that You would renew us and encourage us as we hear the Gospel once again and that we would be instructed and equipped to go out into the world and to proclaim this message. And may we not just simply hear how, but may we be faithful to actually obey Your command to make disciples. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This first section of the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses, has been called the prologue. There is some controversy as to whether it should even be a part of the book of John because it is so beautiful in its language, it's so poetic in its nature, and it contains such an an amazing amount of doctrine. It's pregnant with theology. And yet, it is the the, uh, conviction of the early church and every church since then that it is in fact part of the canon of Scripture. It is something to be cherished and something to be believed because it is God's Word. Only Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1 rivals the beauty of this prologue. And I use the word plainness to describe it. It is plain because it is plain in what it says, but it is not simplistic in what it says. It's complex theologically. It's easy to understand, but the truths run so deep in what it teaches us. John not only describes Jesus as God in the flesh, which in itself is an amazing thought, but also His work in bringing about the salvation of sinners. The fact that God has done this is an amazing thing. And right here at the beginning, John, who by the way has appropriately been called the evangelist, it's the nature of this book, sets the tone of evangelism or Christian witness you might call it. John calls Jesus the Word. A message proclaimed, a person proclaimed, a message that's intended to be heard. And his witness is compared to that of John, who was to give witness of Jesus. The entire first 18 verses are this message of Jesus proclaimed. And not only that, but you get over to verse 14 and you start to see that he includes other believers. He says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The same thing again in verse 16. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. There's a clear sense in in which John chapter 1 puts the witness of John, the witness of Jesus into the context of the community of faith whereby there's an expectation that all people are proclaiming this message loudly. And so in view of that purpose, John uniquely opens his Gospel from the very beginning. None of the other Gospel writers write like this. He says in verse 1, in the beginning. John's Gospel story does not begin like Mark with the testimony of John the Baptist, the preaching of this Savior who'd come who he's not even worthy to loose the sandals of. doesn't begin there. He was not content, content to be, begin like Luke. 
with the birth narrative, the coming of Christ where Jesus was born, announced and then born as the Savior of the world. He was not even content to begin like Matthew or like Luke in, in both of them having given genealogies. One leaning back to Abraham and the other one going all the way back to Adam. No, John begins where we all must begin. And that is at the very beginning. And in the same way as Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning God. John says, in the beginning, the Word. Before anything was... Jesus was. And we know that it's Jesus. We know that this One who is the Word is Jesus because if you fast forward to verse 14, we'll come to that in a few weeks. When you come to verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He describes this Word as the only begotten of the Father. He's the Son of the Father. And we know this to be Jesus. Jesus is the very Beginning. And John says, in the beginning is the Word. This is most definitely the place where John thinks we ought to begin because this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the only one who can show us God. We must begin there. If we're going to talk about the Gospel, we're going to talk about knowing God, we have to begin at Jesus. And it must be made clear in terms of the Gospel in terms of the meaning and significance of life in general, in terms of the order and the design of the universe, and certainly in terms of Christian witness, it must be made clear that all things in life and death begin and end with Jesus. All things in life and death begin and end with Jesus. In fact, Jesus Himself said in Revelation 22, verse 13, which is also the writing of John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All things in life and death begin and end with Jesus. And this is so important for us to get. In the beginning was the Word. There was not an earth, there were not people. There were not countries or governments. There was no social media, no careers, no hobbies. Listen, there was not even a church. But in the beginning, there was Jesus. Everything that exists now proceeds from and is for Jesus. Everything that's here now finds its meaning and its significance in Jesus and Jesus alone. The glory of the Gospel was not meant ultimately to land on anything here or even on us. The glory of the Gospel was meant to land on Jesus. Let me just burst your bubble for a moment. You and I are not the center of God's universe. God is. Jesus was in the beginning. God's world is not all about us. It's about Him. All things in life and death begin and end with Jesus. And by the way, He's not an add-on to our lives. He's not just simply a necessary part of our lives. He's not even the final end to which our lives are coming to. Jesus is everything 
forever. <laughs> this is the reality of what John 1 teaches us. All things in life and death begin and end with Jesus. And this statement is so significant. Because if we understand the culture in which this is being spoken, it will come to an incredible significance even for us. When John says, in the beginning was the Word, he uses the word logos, the word word. In the beginning was the logos. It's a a word that just simply means word if we just translate it literally. But in Greek thought, it had such a deep significance. The word word is the translation of that Greek word, and yet it's a word that only came into existence because of the Greek thought. The Greek culture that was looking for ultimate meaning. Answering, Brother Tony, answering the big questions of life. Wanting to find ultimate significance, ultimate truth. And because they could not find it, you remember the story of Acts 17? Paul is there and they've got even this altar that is to the unknown God because they have not yet found ultimate truth. The only thing they could do was to call it Logos, the Word. Whatever it was, it gave life and meaning to the universe. But it was largely impersonal. It's kind of like Star Wars, right? The Force. May, may the Force be with you. This was, this was the idea. And so John is saying here that the meaning and significance of the universe is not found in some distant, impersonal force that is unknowable, right? What John is saying is the thing that you believe and don't really even know about that is the meaning and significance behind the universe, why everything runs the way that it does, and the purpose for which you are, you're even here, that meaning, that is a person, not a force, not a thing. It has a name. And that name is Jesus and He's come to dwell among us. He's come personally to us for salvation. It's not just the Greeks that He's speaking to. It's also the Jews. This, this word, word, had incredible significance for the Jews. It's one of the most fundamental ideas in the Hebrew Old Testament. Think about it. Even God, right there in Genesis chapter 1, spoke the world into existence. It was the Word of His power through which the worlds were created. It was God's Word upon which He established a covenant with Abraham. It was God's Word that framed the the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of the things that Israel was supposed to do. When God's Word was spoken, it was an indication of intimacy with His people. He was there personally. And when God's people needed rebuke, it was always by His Word through the prophets. The entire universe brought forth by the very Word of God. And what He is saying is this Word, the very Word that you cling to, is now coming to be among you. He is the beginning. In Him... All the questions of life are answered. He is ultimate truth. He is ultimate reality. He is the one upon which God's relationship is established with with His people. He is the one through whom the law is given and for whom the law was given. Its purpose is to tutor, to bring us to Jesus. The entire point of the Word is Christ. And such significance in our day for the very same reasons 
It's not only significant in Greek and Jewish thought, in this American thought where our understanding of the Gospel and your proclamation of the Gospel needs to be so clear. America is much like Greece in its understanding. Much like Greek culture. The thought that truth would be impersonable or unknowable. The thought that truth would be variable and changing and not consistent or relative. All of these things are rooted in this impersonal, unknowable truth. Or even within Christian thought, within Christianity, we oftentimes approach Christianity with such a man-centered view of the world. Thinking about the Gospel as a means to an end. We call it the prosperity Gospel. We think that we're the center of the universe and our gospel doesn't begin with Christ. It actually begins with us and our need and we just apply Jesus to it however we please. Or this, this felt needs kind of based teaching that begins with what God is doing for us. Or even the social gospel where we oftentimes proclaim goodness, love, mercy, and grace to people through human action, but very little do we get to the Gospel of Christ and proclaim Jesus. You see, if we're going to get Christian witness right, it begins with Jesus. We've got to get the Gospel right. We've got to get the fact that all things begin and end with Jesus. And so what John does here is he shows us who this Jesus is. What exactly is Jesus the beginning of? In the beginning was the Word. What does that exactly mean to us? There are four things here that we must understand about Jesus being the beginning. Number one, Jesus is the beginning of divine revelation. Jesus is the beginning of divine revelation. In other words, and we're going to get to this more in John chapter 14 and other places. In other words, you don't know God without Jesus. You don't even know who He is, what He's like without seeing the the nature and the, the essence of who Jesus is. Jesus is the very image of God to us. He, he displays God to us. He is God in human flesh. And so we see His character here. The very first verse puts Jesus at the beginning, which is interesting. In the beginning was the Word. You might replace that with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is one of the most important statements regarding the nature of Jesus Christ in all of the Bible. And it's fundamental to the way that we understand theology. It's fundamental to the way that we understand who Jesus is. It defines His nature and His character in relationship to God the Father. And these things are stated about Jesus as the Word, intended to reveal Him. Spoken. Remember, it's intended to show us who He is. To show us that He was in the beginning and that He was with God and that He was God. It's intended to reveal that to us. Divine revelation. The very nature and character of God as revealed by Jesus. Well, how can this be? 
There are three things that we need to know about Jesus as the revelation of God here from the very beginning. And they're in keeping, by the way, with John's final purpose. Remember, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants us to see that. So he establishes him here at the beginning with God. And John works to establish something that's very important about how we understand Jesus, and that is his divinity, his godness. And so he establishes three core doctrines of the Christian faith here. Number one, God the Son is co-eternal with God the Father. These aren't on the slides before you, but write these things down. God the Son is co-eternal with God the Father. What does it mean for Jesus to be the revelation of God? God's divine revelation. God the Son is co-eternal with God the Father. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And he wants to make it plain. In verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. In other words, John applies the same pre-existent language that is applied in Genesis 1 now to Jesus in John chapter 1. You follow that? In the beginning God, in the beginning Jesus. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus, though He was born 2,000 years ago, existed from eternity past. Christmas is not the coming into existence of Jesus. It's just simply the incarnation of Jesus when this eternal Christ became flesh and dwelt among us as verse 14 says but Jesus has always been from the very beginning he is eternal God and as we know from reading this passage it is before creation it's not with creation because verse 3 says that all things were created by him we're going to come back to that but that means that creation did not ultimately create. (laughs) Jesus is not created. He is the eternally existent God. He has no beginning and will have no end. And so at the very beginning, before creation, Jesus was. His becoming flesh, dwelling among us, was simply His birth. And so He is co-eternal with the Father. Secondly, God the Son is coexistent with God the Father. You've seen the coexist bumper sticker? That's not what that means. <laughs> Something entirely different. God the Son is coexistent with God the Father. The Bible says the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. This is really important. Jesus is not God the Father coming to earth in the form of a man so that God left heaven and came to earth. This is not the teaching of the Bible. And yet, this has been a false teaching within the Christian church for centuries. It's called modalism. That God took on a different form and became the Son. Sometimes we see God the Father. Sometimes we see God the Son. Sometimes we see God the Spirit. But that's not what John chapter 1 says. It says that He was with God. And the with word there is toward. There is an eternally existing relationship that is perfect, that is unbroken between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. So the 
beautiful picture of the Trinity, the triunity of God. That God the Father is not the Son, He's not the Spirit. God the Son is not the Spirit. That they are all unique persons, different persons, and yet they are of one nature and one being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all together as one God. I don't totally understand that. You and I can't totally comprehend that. But it's what the Bible teaches. Jesus has always been. And so one of the clearest evidences we see of this is at the baptism of Jesus, right? When the Son is baptized and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased and the Spirit descends like a dove. He's always been the triune God. So much there to unpack. The third truth God the Son is not only co-eternal and co-existent, He is also co-equal with God the Father. He's co-equal. John said, and the Word was God. And this is huge. Because this means that Jesus is equal with God in His person and being. In His essence. He's not less than God. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is God. This is part of this biblical teaching about the triunity of God. And it's so important for us to get Jesus is not less than God. And if Jesus was less than God, if Jesus was a God, that means that Jesus is not able to save. This means that the Jehovah's Witnesses that knock on your door that proclaim that Jesus is a God, it means that it's not just a little bit twisted. It means that it is a Gospel that cannot save. It means Mormonism that declares that Jesus is less than God cannot save. Any gospel that does not believe in the divinity of Christ cannot save. Because only the Son of God can save. Anyone who teaches that, anyone who teaches that, you should run far from it. And, and God forbid that we be taught of teaching anything less than the fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. An entire Gospel, by the way, written to show that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we see from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the very beginning of divine revelation. If we want to know who God is, we must look to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the beginning of divine creation. Divine creation. Verse 3 says, all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Two statements. The first statement declaring the truth. All things were made through Him. And the second statement making sure we got it the first time. That thing and that thing and that thing. Nope, that was made by Jesus. There's not a single part of creation that escapes His creative power. It is Jesus who made all things. All things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything was made that was made. Some have had made an attempt to make Jesus subordinate to the Father. But the early church didn't make that distinction. The Father's activity was that He made creation. That He was the origin of creation. The, son activity, the Son's activity being that He was the mediator in that creation. So think about 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, and this is they're declaring this. And from all 
or from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all uh, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. They use the exact same description for the Father and the Son. Even still, Romans 11, for Him, or for from Him, that is Jesus, and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Or Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible. Jesus is in fact the author, the the maker of creation. He is Creator God. It's the work of the entire Godhead. And by the way, this is essential to Christian witness that we understand that Jesus created us for His purpose and to know His person because He's sovereign over us. There is no ultimate secular sacred divide There are not some places in which God's truth applies and other places that are more about worldly things. All things created by Jesus, it means that every single person is responsible to bow the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is not that the unreligious person doesn't need to hear the Gospel because they don't even believe those things anyway. Everyone needs to hear the Gospel. You can't say this is God's business and this is the government's business or this is God's business, this is the school's business, this is God's business, this is the community's business. No, it is all God's business. The Gospel is to be preached in every place and to every people because Jesus is Creator. He is divine Creator. He's the beginning of divine creation. Third, Jesus is the beginning of divine ordination. Jesus is the beginning of divine ordination. I want you to read verse 4 very, very carefully. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The statement here is not just describing what it means to be alive. Breath and breathing kind of thing. The term here is life itself. And it's life not in us. It's life in Him. Something about Jesus. There's, there's something ordered in Jesus that is what life is supposed to be. But as we'll read on in this passage and further in chapter 1, it's life that is not what life is like in us by nature. It's different. And as we'll see in the... Weeks to come, it's because sin has broken the life that is in us. We've chosen a different way. We'll see that in verse 5, but the, the light here identifies the life that's found in Christ. In Him was life, and that life was then light to men. We'll see this theme of light all throughout the Gospel, but the idea is the, the, the light of truth, this revelation of divine truth, so that we might be able to see clearly. And what, what John says is the life that's found in Jesus, ordered, ordained by Him, this is the way the world was created and intended to be. That life gives light to men. In the age of science and reason, this is so incredibly important for us to understand. 
Because behind light, understanding, logic, reason, thoughts, behind that stands life reality. There's something underneath what it means to understand, and it's faith. Underneath our ability to reason and figure things out, underneath that is our need to believe in the life giver. To trust in Christ. And that's so important for Christian witness and how we understand faith because faith precedes reason. Though faith is not unreasonable. Amen? Faith is not unreasonable at all. It's not inconsistent with reason. Whenever you believe the Gospel, you'll come to find that the Gospel itself does make sense of the world. But it's not where it begins. We are in darkness by nature. And watch this, Christian. Reason in and of itself has no ability to produce light. Because light is the reason. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for understanding. We're looking for our eyes to be opened. But what precedes our eyes opening is faith. (laughs) In the life giver. I've heard so many People object to the gospel just simply saying, I I just don't understand how that could be. And people are objecting to that because people are in darkness by nature. Of course we don't understand. First Corinthians says that the things of God are foolishness. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We need the Holy Spirit of God to open our eyes. We don't get the Holy Spirit until we're born again. So listen to this carefully. You will not begin to understand the Gospel fully in all of its glory until you've actually believed the Gospel. Do you see this? In order to gain light, this is why evidence-based arguments for the Gospel ultimately fall apart and are incapable of producing faith. Somewhere along the line, this becomes a faith walk. Don't ever think you can, you can lead someone to somehow figure out all the answers and then they'll believe. No, we're called to believe and then God opens the natural mind and removes the calluses that we might understand. Faith precedes understanding. And so in, so, in so doing, we need to believe in the life giver and in life as God has ordained it. Then we'll begin to see the things of God. Then understanding will come, which leads to number five and presents or number four, rather, and presents in verse number five, presents to us the problem that we all face. Jesus is the beginning of divine salvation. There's no there's no salvation apart from him. None. He says in verse five, light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that is predicated on understanding that we're in darkness. Do you realize this? Do you realize that the very foundation of the Gospel is the reality is all men are in darkness. All men are separated from God. All men are without hope and without God in the world. All men are dead in their trespasses and sins. We all are incapable of doing anything about the condition that we're in. We're in darkness. And to even begin to talk about what it means to be saved from our darkness and, and, and restored from all the brokenness of our life, that, begin, that conversation begins at Jesus. It doesn't begin at me doing something 
kind for you. It doesn't begin at me giving you some good ways that you should apply your life so that your marriage can be the, the way that you want it to be or, or so that your children will obey you or some felt needs kind of practical conversation. The, the gospel begins with the reality that you need Jesus and apart from Jesus, everything else is broken. You're in utter darkness. You need the blinders to be removed. This is why you do not understand. This is why you do not believe. And all of this begins at faith. The foundation of the gospel is that Jesus is the beginning of salvation in which he is the light that shines into the darkness. Jesus is the one that pierces through even the darkest parts of the human heart and the most, pro- the most broken parts of our lives. And it is in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, that we are saved. And you need to know this morning that our lives are broken beyond which we even understand. That Jesus, when He shines light into the darkness, the Bible says that the darkness did not overcome it. I love that. I love that. All of my rejection didn't overcome the light that Christ brought. All of my choice of rebellion didn't overcome it. No no government authority overcame it. Rome, Greece, America could not overcome it. Satan himself, with every attempt to blind the human heart, cannot overcome it. Why? Because God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, and this is His world, and He's riding out for the salvation of His people. This is the good news of the Gospel. And it's good news that we must believe. That Jesus Christ is... The Son of God. And if you believe today, there is life. Life in His name. Eternal life. This light given is the revelation of God to you today. Turning from your sin. Trusting in Christ. But it begins with Jesus. If you don't begin there, you've not begun at all. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Do you believe in this Christ? With the faith that is built upon being born again, do you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe this? Maybe you're here in this room and you've never believed the Gospel. You've never trusted in Christ. Maybe you're trusting in a bunch of other things. That Jesus is the eternal Word. The One who's given for the salvation of His people. You've never trusted in Him and Him alone. Today you can. In just a few moments, our altar is going to be open. We're going to be standing. Stephanie's going to be playing right there where you're standing. God is dealing with you today. And today you need to be saved. So right there where you're standing, would you step out in just a few moments? Would you come down this aisle and say, Pastor, today... Today I need to be saved. Will you help me? And today I will lead you to trust in Jesus alone. Others are here that would love to pray with you and to teach you what it looks like to follow Christ, but you have to 
decide today to follow Jesus. And so we would invite you to do that in just a few moments. Others of you here in this room, you've heard the gospel today. And you know someone right now that needs to hear the message that you just heard. And it's your job to go and tell them. Who's the name? What is the face? And have you been faithful to tell them about the eternal Christ? In just a few moments, maybe you need to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer. Praying for that person. Praying for your own heart, your own faithfulness. God to help you to be obedient today. And He will do it. Just ask Him. And then be faithful. Obey Him with your life. With what it means to be an evangelist. And so all across the room, let's stand together. We're going to open this altar. I'm going to pray. And the invitation will begin. Lord Jesus, have Your way in this place. Lord, we pray that hearts would be open to the Gospel. Today and even as we continue through this series, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Stephanie plays, you come this morning. The altar's open. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.